right here. All right, let's get into uh, the message this morning. We are in Acts chapter 9. Uh, we're going to cover the last portion of Acts chapter 9. We're going to finish off that chapter and then going to go into the first eight verses of chapter 10. And so Acts chapter 9, the title of this morning's message is God wishes that none should perish. God wishes that none should perish. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for this time that you've given to us to set aside to study your word. I pray by your spirit that you would give us understanding. Lord, your word tells us that the Holy Spirit teaches us all things and leads us in all truth. And so I pray that that would be the very thing that is accomplished this morning. That by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding. And those specific things that we need to receive and apply, Lord, that that's the very thing that resonates in our hearts. Lord, that as we leave this morning even uh, to go home or wherever we're going, Lord, that that's the very thing that we cling to, um, that we meditate on. And Lord, that we put into practice. And so, Father, we want to commit this time into your hands. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. If you want to know the desire of the Lord, you don't have to look any further than 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Which says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, I remember years ago when I sat in the very place where you are and was listening to the preacher preach and teach the, the word of God. And, and I remember this verse coming up and how it was so personal. It's as if he was speaking straight to me. It was quite interesting because, you know, I've been um, in many places listening to a professor teach or, you know, someone give a lecture, and I never felt like that. You know, it was just information that was coming forward, but it, it wasn't quite like that. It wasn't for me. And it was interesting in that very moment, I felt like the preacher was preaching, like it was just for me, it's like everything else tuned out and it was just for me. And you think about this verse. Who would know this better than the apostles, the disciples of that day? The apostle Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. The Lord is patient toward you. You, individually, personally, Patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, including you, but that all should reach repentance. That's his desire. You know, as parents, there's one verse that I've always written in my son's Bibles. You know, as I, I give them Bibles, there's one verse that I always write in there. It's 3 John 1.4, which says, I desired... No, now I'm drawing a blank. No, I, oh my goodness. What is that? I have no, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> I have no greater joy. All you had to do is get me started. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So, you know, what that says is that, you know, as they're walking in the truth, it's that they have that reputation. 
that that's what they're doing. They're walking in the truth. They're walking with the Lord. It's their own individual personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And no longer under the umbrella of the household, uh, dad, mom, or anyone else. It's just, it's their own relationship. It's personal. It's with Christ. And they know it intimately. As we consider the difficult times in which we're living, we ought to wonder what we can learn from all of this. Think about that. What can we learn from all of what we're going through? Because there's a lesson for you, and there's a lesson for me. And what if God is trying to tell us something in the midst of disease and destruction? Just some questions to ask. Something for us to grow in and mature and grow closer to the Lord through. To the Israelites, it's interesting how God gave them this formula. And he tells them in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 that, hey, listen, when the time comes, this is what you ought to do, and this is how you ought to respond. Because there is a purpose why there is no rain. There is a purpose why the locusts will devour all the produce of the land. There is a purpose for why it is that the Lord is sending pestilence among his people. Because this is a verse that we often apply to ourselves, but really it's, it's applied to God's people, the Israelites, and the land that they were promised. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. He gave them the formula. This, when, when you find yourself in discipline, here's the deal. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's kind of like that parent that's disciplining their children, right? You, you discipline and it's not that you turn away from them. You will never leave them, never forsake them, right? You won't abandon them but you're just not happy with them. And, and there's, there's tension in the air, and, and you know that at this moment that that hand of discipline has come down on me. So what do I do at this very moment? Well, you humble yourself. With the Lord, that relationship with the Lord, you pray, you seek his face. It's kind of like a child, you know, a child that is... That is one, he knows, I'll speak from experience. I know that you thought that I was a perfect child, huh, Peter? You th you, I know you did, I know it, but I wasn't, I confess, I wasn't. So from my own experience, I, I remember being in trouble and then, and then looking for the face, it, it's interesting that it says this, looking for the face of my father, like I, I want to like come back into his graces, you know, I, I want to... You know, I'm humbling myself as a child. I remember doing that, coming around and just like, oh, am I okay with you now? You know, I, um, I got disciplined and I'm in trouble, but I just want to know that we're okay. That's the relationship that we ought to have with the Lord. It's a good, healthy relationship because we are humbled before a holy and righteous God and we're looking for his face. Oh, I know, Lord, I fall short. I've sinned. You know, the, the ways that I go about doing things sometimes are just absolutely wicked. But as we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, by the looks of the news on TV and by the overall evidence of society as a whole, there's no real fear of God. I think about this. Nor is there any desire to, 
humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. But ultimately, listen to this, ultimately this is exactly what God desires. This is the very thing. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross, that we would be reconciled unto the Father through him, that we would know salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So many people ask that one question, why? Why is all this happening? And why is God allowing it? Well, could it be so that wickedness, the wickedness of man may be evident, come to the surface, and the grace of God may prove to reign in and through Jesus Christ, who died for the sin of mankind to reconcile each person unto the Father? We're going to see that through the life of Aeneas, who is a man who was paralyzed for eight years and was healed, through the life of Tabitha that was resurrected from the dead, and through the prayers and alms of a man by the name of Cornelius. We're going to see that through these three situations, that this is the very thing that God had on his heart when he brought Peter into these circumstances to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that in the midst of wickedness, sin, destruction, death, that Jesus, there's a declaration, a proclamation, Jesus is still on the throne. And he desires to be in your heart, to save you, to relieve you of the condemnation of sin. That's chief. That's, that is chief of, uh, amongst all other desires. That is it. For God desires that all should come to repentance. Also, that question is to give an answer to so that the world would see it for what it really is, apart from Jesus, and turn to the one who can make all things new, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, beginning there, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Even today, as bad as things are, God is not holding those trespasses against those people to the extent of saying they've gone too far. Too many of us have said, we, said we've gone too far. You know, you don't know what I've done. And God is going to forgive me of what I've done? Well, he doesn't hold that against you to the point to the where he's given up on you. He hasn't given up on you. He wants to bring that message of reconciliation to all mankind, that all mankind would respond with Repentance. This morning, again, we're going to learn about the healing of a paralyzed man, the resuscitation of a dead woman, and God's answer to the genuine prayers of a God-fearing man. In each instance, salvation is the common thread. It's the basic element that is present because Peter knew that the Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So three things we're going to take a look at. Number one, in first with the life of Aeneas, is that he, through him, in that whole situation, desires that many would turn to the Lord. And that's what we'll see. They turn to the Lord. Number two, in the life of Tabitha, in her resurrection, that many would come to believe in the Lord. And number three, with Cornelius, that as he genuinely sought the Lord, 
that if you genuinely ask the Lord to reveal himself to you, he desires to do that very thing. So let's go to verse 32 of chapter 9 of Acts and read from there. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So we now turn our attention from Saul to Peter. We, up to this point, uh, just for a moment, we're going to uh, break away from Saul and get into the life of Peter. Peter had been in Jerusalem all of his time. And just about this time, he started to venture out uh, outside of Jerusalem and into the surrounding areas. Now, we need to remember that Jesus had given them the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It was very clear what they were to do, and also in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, up to this point, the apostles hadn't really gone out of Jerusalem. They were still in Jerusalem. It was the other disciples that had been scattered, and they had been scattered because of persecution. It wasn't because they were so obedient to the great commission of Jesus and gone out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They hadn't done that. What they needed was, that, was for the Lord to stir up their Jerusalem, their, their little comfort zone, so that they would go out to other areas and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kind of similar, it's interesting, to what the Lord has to do in our own lives. Sometimes he messes up our Jerusalem. He kind of you know, allows things to happen to the point to where we get out of our comfort zone and we start to go out with the gospel to other people around us. And it's interesting how in that time, we realize just how faithful God is. But that's why they went out, because of persecution. Acts 8.1 says, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But Jesus had previously told the disciples, just prior to his ascension, exactly what they are to do. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, this was the first time that Jesus had told them, or this wasn't the first time that Jesus had told them. You know, as, as he told them in the Great Commission, he told them in Acts 1.8, just prior to his ascension, that they were to go to the ends of the earth to preach the good news. They hadn't gone, so persecution comes, and they go all over the place. Now, when Jesus first resurrected, I had uh, addressed or referred to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is what he had commanded them, the 11 disciples, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
So this is what we have. Now we finally have Peter going, going out. And I say all this to help us understand what's going on here with Aeneas and Lydda. Peter's traveled from Jerusalem to where Aeneas is. This is Lydda. This is present-day Lod. This is, um, if you look at Israel, you have Tel Aviv, and then you have, just outside, you have Ben-Gurion Airport. Ben-Gurion Airport is in the area of Lod, and that is what, where we're talking about. That is the very location. It's about 35 miles north-northwest um, of Jerusalem, and so that's, that's what we're referring to. It's on the western coast of Israel. Now, note that Peter's travels are described as him going here and there among them all. He came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So it wasn't that he came directly to Lydda for Aeneas. He didn't even know that there was this paralyzed man living there and that he was going to heal him. He came in and out. So he was, he was amongst the disciples all the way to the point to where we come to this situation. We don't have all the little discussions and, and uh, conversations that he had with everyone else, but the Lord sets aside these for specific purposes for us, for you and I to benefit from. And, and so pay close attention because the Lord is trying to speak to us this morning through this very situation that took place a couple thousand years ago. Peter wasn't going straight to this location for the healing of this man. But it seems as if he was traveling out. He was going out in faith to see what the Lord had for him to do. And as he's doing that, he so happens to come across this, this paralyzed man in Lydda. Had he remained in Jerusalem, he never would have known this opportunity. Remember, if we stay in our own little comfort zones, we will never know what the Lord desires to do in and through us. We need to venture out different ways that we can do that. Meet new people. Um, talk to different people. Um, search for different ways that you can open the door of conversation regarding the Lord. And it's quite simple. It's quite simple. You can, you can say different things like, hey, if one question that most people think about. If you were to die today, where would you go? Heaven or hell? Immediately you'll know whether they believe there's a heaven or hell and where they believe they'll go and why. Not because you can ask them why. And so you can have that conversation with them. Different ways that you can go out of your comfort zone and really have some amazing conversations with people and perhaps even lead them to Christ. At the least, what you'll do is plant some seeds, some, some seeds of hope with them. Well, Peter didn't know, and yet he went. And in the midst of him meeting Aeneas, and him knowing that he was paralyzed, somehow he knew that Jesus desired to heal this man and called out to him in this, these simple terms. Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Interesting. Those are all the words, no more, no less. That was it. Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. But notice that Peter acknowledged Jesus healed him. 
not Peter. Yeah, because Peter, Peter's ministry could have taken off at that point, right? Could have been he could have gotten phone calls, maybe he just hired an agent, and he, he could have been asked for speaking engagements throughout all of Europe, perhaps uh, maybe going into Asia. It's just a healing ministry. He's all over the place. And he could have received all the glory. But it wasn't about Peter, and he knew that. He knew that very well. And he knew that the healing didn't come from him. It's awesome when we gather around. Sometimes, you know, when the Lord chooses to heal, it's normally in a, in a group gathering, we anoint someone that needs healing. And there is from time to time this healing. And yet, as we're praying, and we're in faith asking the Lord to do this work, we don't know who God used or if he used anyone at all. He just used us as a group of men and women who gather together around someone and just pray, and this person is healed. And praise God for that, right? We give him all the praise and all the glory. So Peter knew, just as we ought to know, that the healing power is all in the hands of Jesus Christ. Now here's the other thing that we need to note is how it is that the people responded to this healing. Notice that it says here that they saw him, that is, Aeneas healed this man who was paralyzed for eight years, and they turned to the Lord. They saw him, and yet they turned to the Lord. I wish this would happen more often today. Too too many times, and I'm sorry to say that people will come into church. Why? Because they're hurting There's things happening with their marriages, uh, perhaps in relationships. Uh, They lost a job. Um, There's just all kinds of different issues, addictions, all kinds of things. And they come in, and this is the best place to come for them. But Jesus is not the genie in the lamp. You know, oftentimes it's like, oh, you know, what I see is this. Oh, he comes, here he, here he is. He's going to take care of all my problems. And he breaks them down one by one. And he brings healing perhaps to your marriage. He brings healing to your addiction. Completely delivers you from something. And then once all is well, you get your job back. Gone. No more to be seen until the next affliction. And then that person is back. It worked once before. Maybe it'll work again. That's not how a relationship with Jesus works. He desires for a genuine repentance to take place in your life. Regardless of whether he you know, heals you physically, whether he really repairs your marriage or not, It may be because of the two people aren't willing to come together and surrender to the Lord. By the way, here's here's some, some marital counseling according to the Bible. If you're experiencing problems, both of you need to keep your eyes off of each other. Put them on the Lord, and at some point, that path will meet, and you'll realize that you're both hand in hand with the Lord right there in the midst of you. That's the way it works. 
The Lord desires a relationship with you personally. Things fall into place, but the next thing that happens, what, what happens is you realize the Lord is with me. My hope is in him, my strength, my Oh, everything, wisdom, discernment, everything I can find in Jesus Christ. And at that point, you quickly turn to him. Lord, what do I do? How do I respond to this? And he's teaching you all the way through. That's the relationship that he desires. When we see great things happen, we need to turn to the Lord. How many people today see God do something and turn to Jesus? Because if you are truly wondering why God does these types of things, you just got your answer. So that people may see that Jesus is God and turn to him for salvation. Why? Because he wishes that none should perish in eternal condemnation, but that all should reach repentance. So as we look at Peter, just in that, this situation, go out from your, your Jerusalem, allow God to use you to turn hearts to the Lord and see that Jesus is the Son of God and turn to him. So number one, turn to the Lord. Number two, believe in the Lord. Verse 36, as we continue, says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. He stayed in Joppa for many days with one, Simon, a tanner. So now we turn our attention to this woman who had died in Joppa, which is on the southern border of Tel Aviv, not too far from Lydda, where Peter was. Tabitha was her name, and she was a woman that was loved dearly by everyone that knew her. She was a woman that was known for, you know, the good works that she did and, and the, the acts of charity that she participated in. Hearing that Peter was near, once she had died, they sent for him to come to Tabitha, having already died, though. So we wonder, perhaps it was to console the family. It doesn't state clearly. It's not an explicit, explicit statement as to why it was that they called Peter. But they called Peter. Maybe it was to console the family and all the friends and all those who are near to Tabitha. They were broken. They were grieving. They were in deep sorrow. And perhaps Peter can help out. He's so near. Go get him. And everything that Peter experienced surrounding Tabitha demonstrated that she was deeply loved by many people. They were grieving. In fact, they were even showing him um, these garments that she had made. You know, she was a woman that was known for her charity and her good works. 
And so they were bringing these. It's kind of like someone, you know, who is passing and you're remembering them and you're bringing the things. You know, there, there's nothing better than, than to see something that perhaps they made or they wrote, you know. And I remember this and this person wrote this to me and made this. And, and so that's what they were doing. They were showing these things to Peter and they were grieving her death. At the same time, Peter was learning how to be led by the Holy Spirit. At that very moment, can you imagine Peter in that moment, in the midst of all this grieving, all this sorrow, he sensed that the Lord wanted to do a special work. And we don't know. We, we only have so many details here. We don't know why he did this, but he put everyone out of the room, and he knelt down, and he prayed. And while he was praying... He became so overwhelmed with what the Lord wanted to do that he simply looked over and he refers to her as her body. This was her body. He said, Tabitha, arise. I really don't think that Peter had this in mind when he came and when he put everyone out of the room. Perhaps he just wanted some peace and quiet to seek the Lord in the midst of such hardship and was led in the middle of that moment of prayer to turn to Tabitha and to tell her to arise. Now we know that Jesus healed Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5. Remember the story that as he told them, oh, she, she's, not, she's not dead, she, she's only asleep. They laughed at him. And yet he did the same thing. He put everyone out of the room and he did this. Mark chapter 5 verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And in much the, way, in the same way now, the disciple of Jesus Christ, his apostle, Peter, called on Tabitha, Tabitha to arise. Arise. And she did. Not because of any power that Peter offered, but because he knew that Jesus could. And he was impressing upon him, this is the moment right here. Can you imagine Peter? Now, Peter, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was used in these mighty ways. And all the apostles were used in this way. Pretty amazing that in that very moment, he sensed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he looked over. That had to take tons of faith, right? At this very moment, she's, she's dead. She's been you know, cleaned up and really made presentable and she's placed in the upper room. This is, this is common in that day. And so it's at, in that moment, kneeling and praying that Peter looks over and says, Tabitha, arise. Was it for Tabitha's sake that she was brought back? Surely it was because of her, right? So that her dreams and aspirations could be realized by her. She was... After all, just a woman who was so good. And she did so many good things. And so surely it was because of that. It was so that she could, you know, really... No, it wasn't. It wasn't for her sake. It really wasn't. It was for the glory of God. That's what it was for. And what's the very thing that would bring glory to God? Seeing more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose. Because news of this spread throughout all Joppa. And it says here that many believed in the Lord. That was it. 
When you see things happen that are just so great, it's, they're inexplicable, inexplicable, it's just God, you just, you just got to come to that place where it's like, man, it, that increased my faith. That, that's what that did. That increased my faith in God. One of those God things. They believed in the Lord. I have no doubt that with these two events that Peter was getting the idea of how the Lord works. To go in faith, and the Lord will direct my paths. Go in faith, and the Lord will direct my paths. I'll just go. Proverbs 16, 16, verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So, that's what Peter was learning. Consider this. Tabitha was not resuscitated for her own sake. She wasn't brought back for her own sake, but for the sake of glorifying the Lord. Anything that you've been brought back from, out of, delivered from, is all for the sake of glorifying the Lord. It's not for your own sake. Take that and bring glory to the Lord somehow, some way. So, number one, so that many would believe in the Lord, number one. And number two, for Tabitha, so that she may serve the Lord. We must reflect the same thing. Number one, turn to the Lord. Number two, believe in the Lord. And thirdly, let's take a look at the life of Cornelius as we have an introduction here to his life in chapter 10 and verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So thirdly, ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. And we know that he desires to do that very thing. So now we go from, from Joppa, we have Lydda, Joppa, and then we go north to Caesarea, to where Cornelius lives. He is a Roman centurion. So uh, he has oversight of at least 100 men. He is described as a God-fearing man whose household also feared God. So not only was he, he a God-fearing man, but so was his entire household. He's also described as a generous man. And he was a man of prayer. And on a certain day, at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, he saw in a vision an angel of God come and speak to him. And he did one thing. He encouraged him. He encouraged him that the Lord had heard his prayers and he had noted his generosity to those who were in need. He did that very thing. It was a wonderful encounter, but then he also gave him instructions. Initially, Cornelius was filled with terror. I think you and I would be filled with terror also if we were confronted by an angel of God. It would be overwhelming. So Cornelius was no different at that point. He was filled with terror, but at the same time, he did manage to get a few words out. 
He, he just said simply, and this should be our response always when we're confronted by the Lord, what is it, Lord? And that's what he said. What is it, Lord? What is it? What do you have for me? Because Cornelius had recognized that this was something from and of the Lord. What I found interesting here is what the Lord did. Because God could have used that angel to communicate the gospel to Cornelius. Cornelius, I have a message for you. You know Jesus of Nazareth. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried three days later, resurrected from the grave. After 40 days of of appearing to his disciples, he ascended to the Father and today sits at the right hand of the Father. Do you believe that? He He could have told him that. But he didn't. That's what I find interesting. You see, God desires to use men and women just like you and I to be those messengers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors of Christ, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Because as we have come to know forgiveness of sins through the blood of the Lamb, so the power of our witness is impactful for the lives of others. We say, we have been forgiven. I have been forgiven of all my sins. I have the assurance of heaven through Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and Savior. Do you want to get to know him? it's, It's simple, but you need to humble yourself before God. You need to just surrender your life to him. He desires to speak through you and I. He desired to work through Peter. At this point, the Lord simply gave Cornelius further instructions to send for a man named Peter who is in Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house. It's by the sea. I remember last year when we went to Israel and we went to, to Simon the Tanner's house. You know, could have been Simon the Tanner. That's what's believed. That, that was Simon the Tanner's house. And we knocked on the door. Nobody came. We were kind of disappointed. Um, but uh, but we, we were there. And we went over this scripture right here. The next day we went to Caesarea, right? And, uh, and then we learned about how the Lord, uh, you know, met with Cornelius and, and then all of the rest. So it was, it was pretty awesome. But such beauty. Right there on that rooftop, you can see the whole bay. You look north, today you see Tel Aviv. You look further up, perhaps you could see uh, you know, some other cities, but, but you could see all around, just absolutely beautiful. Who else came to Joppa, by the way? He had a whale of a time there. Jonah. So this is where, what the Lord did with Cornelius. He gave him further instructions to send for a man named Peter who was staying at the house of a man named Simon who was a tanner in Joppa. So, now, we need to note here, Peter is learning something in regards to people and God's desire to reach all for the sake of the gospel of salvation. Peter was staying with a man who dealt with carcasses, the skin of, skins of dead animals. So he would be considered defiled, unclean, ceremonially unclean. And he would literally have to be 75 feet outside of um, the, the limits of the city itself. And so keep that in mind. Here, here was Peter, who was a Jew, 
and was staying with Simon the Tanner. So he was learning. He was learning that God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It was here that Peter was staying and where Cornelius sent men to retrieve Peter. And at this point, you know, we have the benefit of knowing the whole story, but at this point, Cornelius didn't know exactly why he was to send for Peter, only that he was to send for Peter. The only clue that Cornelius had was that the angel told him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So I can just imagine with Cornelius, he was thinking, like, what have I prayed for? What have I asked for? And yet now these prayers, these requests have gone to God, and now he's sending this angel to send for Peter that is going to come to me, and what have I prayed for? We have the privilege of knowing why Peter's coming. So we can say with certainty that Peter's coming to share the gospel with Cornelius and his household. So we can deduce by what we know that what Cornelius desired was for God to reveal himself to him, and that God would show him perhaps some mercy and grace, and he was about to do that. Cornelius, you see, was a genuine man who sincerely desired to know the Lord, and the Lord wanted to be known by Cornelius. And so the Lord was sending someone who would bring to him the message of reconciliation. Peter was learning to regard no one according to the flesh. You see, Peter was about to be sent to a Gentile, a man who was commonly hated by all the Jews. But he was already staying with a man who was defiled, who was a tanner. He was learning to regard no one according to the flesh, but to simply be obedient to the proclamation of the gospel to all, because God desires that none should perish. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 16 says, "From now on, therefore, we, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come." All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the very thing that the Apostle Paul knew and Peter was coming, coming to know very well. Cornelius was about to have a man sent to him in answer to his prayers to reveal the Lord to him and to be taught how to have a relationship with him. You see, he had this relationship with God but he missed one important element, and that is the intimacy that can only be known through Jesus Christ, true salvation. You can know about God, and you can have reference toward, reverence toward him, but a relationship you cannot know without Jesus Christ. For Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me.
except through me. So that's the one thing that he was missing. One thing. You can know about God, but to know God, you need to go through Jesus. You need to surrender your life to him. So number one, turn to the Lord. Number two, believe in the Lord. And number three, ask the Lord to reveal himself to you, and he will. What, what does God desire above all? 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. No matter if it's healing, a resurrection, or a sincere prayer, God desires to heal you from more than your physical ailments. He desires to completely heal you from sin and death. And that can only come through Jesus Christ. That is what God desires in you above all. And that you will bring that message to others. That in Christ they too can know repentance and the forgiveness of sins and have the hope of heaven. I pray that you know it. And that that would, that would be your joy. That you would walk in a relationship with the Lord and look to him. Keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith. He is worthy. And one day we will see him in all of his glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for this time that you've given to us to come and study your word. I pray that you would continue to speak to us, allow your word to resonate in our hearts. We know that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes that which you have set forth for it to accomplish in us. So we commit the rest of this day into your hands, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.